Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Amen. And uh, we're going to continue. You can be seated. We're going to do a somewhat of a lengthy reading. Amen. I know that the last uh, last week we had a missionary with us. The week before that, we had uh, my wife had continued in teaching and had um, I think taught from verses what four through eleven. Is that right? Or six through eleven. And uh, the memory verse that she gave you all was. Was it 12 through 14? All right. We're not necessarily going to, we don't have gold stars to give out tonight. These are more just for us to get into practice of, of memorizing the scripture, hiding the word in our hearts. Amen. And so tonight we're going to pick up in verse 12 and we're going to read through verse 26. Good to have our bishop and mom Staten here with us tonight. Amen. Also good to have Brother and Sister Wilson here with us. Amen. Amen. So uh, you don't have to stand because we are going to read pretty lengthy. And so we're going to read from 12 through 26, and then we're just going to kind of turn around and, and study that portion of Scripture out. Verse 12, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotus, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. And in those days, I'm sorry, but let me pause real quick. Trey just told me. Elements class, if you're part of the elements class, I'm going to interrupt myself because I was like not two minutes ago, Trey just came and, and told me. If you're part of elements class, which one is 201? Is that right? Elements 2. So if you've made it through This Is Home and you're continuing on, all right, you are dismissed right now. Brother Trey is going to take you all. All right, even if you're, they're not through this, is, is that what you're saying? All right, if you haven't been through any of the spiritual growth classes, and you want to start, tonight's a great place. This is the first class, all right, first class. You've always wanted to fly first class. You're not going to be able to do that, but we'll let you be in. Yes, Brother Chris. They said you can bring them or we'll watch them in here. You can take them back there. Trey said it's fine. Or if you want to leave them in here, we'll, we'll make sure they're, right, we'll, we'll uh, whatever, we'll take care of them, right? It takes a village to raise a child. We'll, we'll be the village tonight. All right. Anybody else wants to go? Now's your time. Fly first class, first time ever for you, maybe. Amen. Where was I? Interrupted myself because my memory kicked back in for a slight second, and I didn't want to risk it not kicking back in again. So I think we had just read through 14. Is that right? All right. 15. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must be fulfilled, must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost 
by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of his ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gushed out. Amen. And it came and it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, uh, Akeldama, that is to say the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein and his bishopric or the position that he had within the uh, disciples let another man take. Wherefore, because of what the prophet said, let uh, wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must, be, uh, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, or Barsabbas, which was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of his ministry, this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Amen. So we're going to kind of pick up with our next segment of the book of Acts. And our goal this year is to study uh, or get as far as we can this year. We'll just continue in the next year if we need to, but studying through the book of Acts. Uh, this next section, we, we kind of laid out the groundwork at the beginning of the year that we we're going to use the English Standard Version and the segments that they break down the book of Acts into. And so the English Standard Version breaks this next segment of Scripture down into this theme, Matthias chosen to replace Judas. All right, so we're going to kind of study that whole process of how that came about, of how they made the decision to choose Matthias uh, to replace Judas. So in, the, in this portion of the first chapter of Acts, there are some very important matters within the foundation of the church that are tended to and some important principles that are established for church government. So right here in this first chapter of Acts. Remember that in the first week of our study of the book of Acts, we discussed, uh, I know that, you know, often we might title the, the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles, but I think as we studied out in that first week, it might maybe more, um, not clearly, but more accurately be identified as the book of the actions of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's the book of the actions of the Holy Ghost working through the apostles, working through the church. Um, but it was not just the Holy Ghost at work through the miracles, the outpourings of the Spirit, and certainly there are many of those Throughout the book of Acts, we know that the lame are made to walk, the, the dead are raised, so many great miracles that take place in the book of Acts, and certainly also many great instances of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And we recognize those are the actions of the Holy Ghost, but also, not just in, in those miraculous and, and uh, spiritual works, but also in the government of the church, the Holy Ghost was at work in establishing the government of the church. Amen. And so this, as we read... Um, the first record of the response of the apostles after the command had been given. Uh, so what was the command that came prior to this portion of, and, and I'll give you a hint, we would find that in uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 4. There was a command that was given. What was that command? Wait 
where? In Jerusalem. All right, so the command had been given, stay in Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem until the promise. And he goes on and tells what the promise is. That promise is the Holy Ghost. It's going to give you power to be witnesses. Amen? Amen. And so this is the first record of the, the apostles or the, uh, the disciples' response uh, after the command had been given for them to go and wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Ghost and after the ascension of Jesus into heaven. And the first few words of this 12th verse tell us what they do, right? What, what is it that they do? They return unto Jerusalem. The first actions of the apostles following the ascension of Jesus was to obey his command. Jesus had given them a command and they heard that command, they go to the Mount of Olives, they watch Jesus ascend, and after he's gone, the first thing that they do is to obey the command of Jesus. It's not always what we do when Jesus is with us, but it's also what we do with, when, when Jesus is no longer with us. Amen. What's going to uh, mark the, the power of God at work in our lives and in our church, amen, the, the changes that God can make in us, is not just what we do when he is with us, and we know he's always with us, but when his manifest presence is with us, but it's also what do we do when he's not with us. Back in December, Brother Wilson uh, preached when heaven leaves, and he brought this point out, right, after the angels were there and after they left, right, the, 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 the shepherds, it, it was their obedience after the angels left that, made, that, that led them to where Jesus was, right? And, and so that same principle, it's not just what we do on Sunday, amen, it's not just what we do, it's easy to serve God when we're all here together on Sunday, and it's easy to have faith in God, it's easy to be obedient to what God is asking of us when the praise team is up here and we feel the Holy Ghost, you know, the goosebumps and the, you know, all, all of the, the, the powerful things that are happening and we feel the witness of the Holy Ghost, amen, but that's not really the indicator of, and that's not really where the power of what God is able to do in our lives is just what we do on Sunday and Wednesday, but it's when we leave. It's when we're no longer in the congregation. Amen. It, it's, it's how do we live when we leave this place. Amen. It's how do we walk when we're no longer in the company of one another. It's, it's not just what we do when we're in the accountability of the church. It's easy to live right when you know, you got 199 other saints watching how you're living. But when, you're, when nobody's watching you how you live, that's really what makes the difference. Amen. When Jesus ascends and we're still here, what do we do? The disciples made up in their mind what we're going to do, whether Jesus is here or whether he's not here, we've made up in our minds we're going to obey his commands. And we need to make up in our minds. We're not just going to be Sunday morning Christians. We're not just going to be Wednesday night apostles and followers of Jesus Christ, but even when we leave this building, throughout in this community, we are going to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to be followers of Jesus Christ. We're going to obey his commands, whether we're in the building or we're outside of the building. We're going to obey his commands. The other portion of this verse that I think is very important to recognize, before the ascension, Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem. So what is the, again, what is the first thing that they do? After he has ascended, the first thing they do. I know everybody's afraid in these settings because you don't want to be wrong in front of. I'll give you a hint. I just, we just covered it, and it's the first uh, five words of verse 12. They returned, right? They returned. The first thing, everybody say it was the first thing they did. 
they set the tone for the entire book of Acts and for the New Testament church by not hesitating or procrastinating in their obedience. It was the first thing they did, right? Jesus ascends. They didn't say, well, you know what? He said to go, but he's gone now, so we're going to, you know, we're going to go down to the pool of Bethesda first. We're going to go, you know, we're going to walk over and see what's happening in Jericho, and then we'll No, the first thing they did is without hesitation, they obeyed what, God, what Jesus had told them to do. Their first act was to obey without hesitation. And many times God gives us a command. How many of you know the primary way that God is going to give you a command? I'll give you a hint. You're holding it. All right. The primary way God is going to give you a command is through his word. In fact, any other command God gives you that violates his word is not a command from God. Amen. If some person comes to you and gives you a command that violates the scripture, I don't care who that person is. I think Paul said it this way. If that man, if, even if it's an angel, if it comes to you and tells you something different than the word that has been delivered to you, they are accursed. And I don't care how holy, how anointed they are. If somebody comes to you and gives you a word, if it's me, and I tell you something that contradicts the Bible, I'm wrong and the Bible is right. Amen. Many times, though, God gives us a command. And that, that command, again, primarily first, is going to come through his word. It could come through a spiritual authority. And how many of you, God speaks to you through your conscience? God speaks to you in your spirit. Hopefully that happens to you. But many times God speaks to us and we kind of, we delay. We hesitate, right? We put it off. We want to wait for confirmation. Well, you know, if that's, if that's really what God meant, then, you know, then, then let the next song that comes on the radio be, you know, California Dreaming. I'm not listening to that kind of music, but if it comes up, then I'll know that was God. All right? and, and we try to put all these different you know, litmuses out there and these fleeces before it. Well, we need to get more of a spirit like the apostles that if God commanded me to do it, I'm going to obey without hesitation. I'm going to obey. I'm just simply going to do what God is telling me to do. Amen. I'm not going to delay being obedient to what God is asking me to do. Have you ever been in service and God spoke through the preacher, spoke through spiritual authority, and you knew God was challenging you to do something. Amen. God was challenging you to give something. Maybe it was financial and God was challenging you to give it. And you were like, well, we'll wait. And I want to hear the rest of what he's got to say first. I mean, he might change his mind halfway through the message. All right. I want, I want to challenge you. Learn from the apostles. And when God calls you to do something, the first thing you need to do is obey what God is asking you to do. There, why? Because there's danger in delay. Amen. There's danger in delay. Let's look at a few examples in the scripture of this danger and delay. Saul, right? The, the, the prophet had come to Saul and said, you need to destroy the Amalekites. You need to wipe them out. You need everything, every animal, everything. You need to kill it all. And, and what does Saul do, though? Saul hesitates to obey. He hesitates to obey fully the command to kill the Amalekites. He saves King Agag and he spares the best of the flock and and, and, and as a result of that, what is the cost to Saul because he delayed in his obedience? It cost him everything. It cost him the, his kingship. It cost, him, it cost him a lineage of kings probably coming out of him. It cost him all of that. Why? Because he delayed. There is danger in delay. When God asks you to do something, if you see something in the scripture, amen, the best thing you can do is right away go back to Jerusalem. Right away, go to Jerusalem. Right away, obey what God is asking you to do and commanding you to do. Amen? Amen. David. David is another example. 
Maybe not as extreme as Saul, but when David, the Bible says it was a season when the kings were supposed to be at war. But David doesn't, David delays, and he, the Bible tells us he stays back at the palace. Well, it was in that moment of delay that David is looking out his window and spies Bathsheba that is over there taking a bath, and, and we know the rest of the story from there. Why? Because there's danger in delay. There's danger in not being where we're supposed to be. There's danger in not being obedient to what God is asking. And you might, well, God doesn't know. You, you might think that you're fooling God. And I can get away with it and it's not going to catch up. I pro- Be not deceived. God is not mocked. That which a man sows, shall he also reap. There is danger in delay. Samson is another one. Samson had been called to deliver Israel. But he delays the call of God upon his life to pursue his infatuation with Delilah. We all know what that cost Samson. It cost him everything. It cost him, first of all, his eyes being uh, poked out, plucked out. Right? He's blinded and then he's mocked by the very people that God had called and anointed him to conquer. And now instead of that, Samson is mocked by the very people that God had empowered him to conquer. There's danger in delay. And how do you believe that? There's danger how many of you can think back to a time where you delayed in obeying and it cost you something? Two of you. The rest of are more than two. Okay. Now, aren't we glad God's merciful? All right. He doesn't just write us off, but there, there are still consequences. But thank God for his mercy. But it doesn't do us much good if we suffer consequences, but we don't learn from it. All right. But if we learn from it, okay, God, next time you tell me to do, next time I see something in your word, I'm going to, I'm just going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to obey and do what you ask me to do. Psalms 119 verse 60 is a good psalm to write down and maybe hide away in your spirit pertaining this. The psalmist says this, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. That's an easy one to remember. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. The apostles positioned themselves for the fulfillment of God's promise through their immediate obedience to his commandment, right? If they hadn't immediately gone back to Jerusalem, if they hadn't immediately said, I'm going to do the last thing God told me to do, I'm going to go and do it. If they hadn't done that, they would not have been properly positioned for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. But it was through their obedience that they positioned themselves. I know Brother Johnson preached on Sunday that we are positioned. But I'm going to tell you how we position ourselves is not just by having a few good Sunday services, but it's by us being immediately obedient to what God is asking of us. I don't want 2023 to just be a great year for living hope. I want it to be a great year for your families. I want it to be a great year for your marriage. I want it to be a great year for your children. The only way that you can ensure that 2023 is going to be that kind of a year where giants fall is if you make up in your mind right now, God, I'm going to do whatever you command me to do. I'm going to do it immediately. I'm not going to delay. I'm not going to hesitate. I'm not going to procrastinate. I'm going to, and if you'll do that, you will position yourself for the promises of God. Amen. So we continue on in that verse or in that segment of Scripture, and it tells us that they returned from the Mount of Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And just, this is not anything I'm going to expound on, just maybe for awareness sake, uh, a half, a, um, what does it say, a Sabbath day's journey would be the equivalent of about a half a mile. Because uh, if, you, if you study out, it was unlawful to travel more than a half a mile on the Sabbath day. And, and it was more in cubits, but if we take those cubits and translate those into modern measurements, 
it would be a, about a half a mile. So they travel back about a half a mile. That's simply just for you to know what a, a Sabbath day's journey was. Nothing to expound there, okay? Uh, sorry to disappoint you. I don't have any, any words of wisdom there for But let's move on to verse 13. Hopefully I can make up for it. Let's go to verse 13. And when they were come in, the Bible says they went where? To an upper room. How many of you are familiar with this upper room that we're, getting ready, that we're reading about? All right, this is the essence of the Pentecostal faith. What happened in that upper room? When I say upper room, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Holy Ghost, right? All right, fire. And this supernatural experience, right? When we talk about the upper room, we connect it to the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Anytime there's a song with upper room in it, there's also going to be lyrics about fire. There's going to be lyrics about that sudden rushing mighty wind that filled the house. There's going to be lyrics about tongues and speaking in other tongues. And we emphasize the outpouring of the Holy Ghost because that's what we equate the upper room with. But before the Holy Ghost was poured out in the upper room, there first were matters pertaining to the structure of the church that were taken care of in the upper room. All right, And I know that they're not going to write a song about that, right? Simon stood up and said, we need to get another disciple in here because we've got to have 12. Right, it doesn't even rhyme. But I, don't, I don't know how you write a song about it. All right, we, could, we can write songs about they were all in the upper room and spake with other tongues as the Spirit gave, and that's powerful. But we need to understand that what preceded the outpouring of the Holy Ghost is that God had to put some things in order. Amen? I know we, we want the Holy Ghost but in order for the Holy Ghost to do what it intends to do, there's got to be order. There's got to be things that are being done in order. Amen? The first thing that had to be set in order, that, that there, there had to be things set in order before they could, there could be an outpouring. And that hasn't changed 2,000 years later. If we want an outpouring of God's Spirit, amen, if we want God to come among us and pour out His Spirit, then there's got to be order in the church. Thank you, Shaq. I got one hand clap. As one preacher said, I got five hand claps and a burp. He really said that. All right. Before there is an outpouring. Why is that? Because God's not going to waste his spirit. Before he ever came down and dwelt, there first had to be a tabernacle constructed. Right? Before he came down and dwelt, there was an ark of covenant where his presence could abide in. He's not going to waste his power. He's not going to waste his spirit and so the first thing that's got to happen, if we want there to be an outpouring, is there's got to, if you want the Spirit of God to be poured out in your home, you've got to get your home in order. Well, I just want to come to church and feel the presence of God. Well, if you want that presence of God to have a lasting change in your life, you've got to get things in order. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40 says, Let all things done be done decently and in order. Paul was writing to the church addressing confusion that was in the church. And he said, the first thing that we got to deal with is there's got to be order before there can be an outpouring. Somebody say, let things be done decently. All right, that was a lot to say. Say it again. Let things be done decently and in order. It's still the will of God that there is order in the church. Amen. I, there does need to be a move of God. We need the Spirit of God to move. We don't need to be there so much order that God can't move. Amen. But we do, there does have to be order. In the, God is not going to move in the midst of chaos. Four of you believe that. God's not going to move in chaos. All right? He may for a minute, but he ain't going to stay there. 
Back in Genesis, let me me say, this principle of order preceding outpouring is a creation principle. You can find it all the way back in Genesis. Before God created one tree, before, before he created one apple, one dog, one cat, before he ever shaped humanity, the first thing God did was he, he got rid of chaos and started putting things in order. Right? He, he, the Bible says he moved upon the chaos. He moved upon the face of the deep. And he, before he ever created anything that had life in it, he got rid of chaos. Amen, because God is going to put things in order before he starts pouring out his spirit. Before, how many of you know the New Testament? Life, the Holy Ghost, is what gives us new life. And God is not going to give life as long as there is chaos and disarray. He's going to put things in order, and then he's going to begin to give life. Some believe that order hinders the move of God. Well, we can't have order because that will, God can't move in the midst of order. But Scripture bears out that order precedes a move of God. The only spirit that doesn't like order is a spirit of chaos. And the Bible tells me that God is not the author of confusion. So the spirits that don't like order and they don't like authority, I'm going to tell you what spirits those are. They're not of God because God is not the author of confusion. We need to have a move of God. We need there to be, amen, we need our worship to be uh, you know, without restraint. We need to be able to praise God. We need to have freedom and liberty in our worship. But there does need to be order. Amen. So the, this is a creation principle. And what, what was the next step? In, that, in this creation principle. After God hovers upon the, the, the face of the deep, after he steps into that chaos and begins to bring life, amen, the, the, after he brings order to it, the next thing that he does is he puts authority in place to govern the order that he had just established. My wife said it's right. Anybody else believe that's right? All right. Well, let's look at what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 1, verse 16. And God made... Two great lights. After he had said to, in, in, spoken into that, dark, that darkness, the, the void, the deep, the chaos, and he had divided light and darkness, the next thing that he does is he makes two great lights. Listen, the greater light to rule. Everybody say rule. How do you know that's a, a word of authority? God said, look, I just got rid of chaos, but if I don't put authority in place, you'll just go right back into chaos. That's why God puts authority in our lives. Because any place there's an absence of authority, there's chaos. And so God puts authority. Any place where God brings order, the next thing that he does is he puts authority in place. Amen. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also and God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw After he had put authority in place, God saw that it was good. Amen. So creation principle. Amen. God is going to always put order before there is an outpouring. God is going to get rid of chaos and confusion before there is an outpouring. And in order for that order to stay in place, God is going to establish authority. So all of you that don't like authority... You don't want anybody telling you what to do. You don't like to obey rules, and you don't like any kind of rules being established in your life. I just want you to tell you, God gave you authority so there can be order in your life so that the spirits that lurk in chaos won't be able to destroy your life. And this is what Simon Peter is standing up to do in this portion of Scripture that we are reading right now. In the midst of disciples, 
the Bible says Simon Peter stands up and he's dealing with order and authority. There are spirits that don't, that, that like, rather that, that do like, to make their way into the church that don't like order. Right? And, and a lot of times those spirits attach themselves to people. How of you know you have spirits attached to you? Whether they're good or bad, you got some kind of spirit is attached to you. And those spirits attach themselves to people. And there are spirits that like to make their way into church that don't like order. You get around them long enough and you're going to start to hear, they can't, they can't contain it. You're going to start hearing it come out that how much they don't trust authority. And how they really don't like authority. They don't like somebody establishing that things are going to have to be done decently and in order. They want to have free reign and they want to do whatever they want to do without having any kind of accountability and they don't want to demonstrate any form of submission. Romans chapter 16 verse 17. Paul writes to the church at Rome and says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them that cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. And here's what he says, avoid them. Notice what he didn't say. Pacify them. He didn't say feel sorry for them, sulk for them, have empathy for them, coddle them. He didn't say any of that. He said, for your own sake, if you know somebody who's working to cause division in the body of Christ, they don't want to be submitted, they don't like order, they don't like authority, the best thing that you can do is avoid them. Well, Pastor, that's not very nice. I don't know about nice. What I know is about your soul being saved. And Paul, Paul's not in the business of being nice. He's trying to help somebody make it to heaven. And if, if there are people that you're associating with that are, that are letting it, it's just kind of seeping out that they don't trust spiritual authority, that, that they're tearing down authority, that they don't like order in the church, I'm going to tell you what you need to do is heed the writings of Paul and avoid that spirit. Let's continue. For they, he goes on and says, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. They're not doing this for the kingdom. They're doing it for themselves. All right? they're, they're not doing it for the name on the front of the jersey. They're doing it for the name on the back of the jersey. All right? This isn't about the kingdom. It's about them. And he goes on and says, listen, here's how deception works. And by good words and by fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Amen. Some of us think the devil, all he does is growls and roars. All right, if the devil showed up and tried to deceive me, he's going to show up and, and growl like a, you know, like a dragon and breathe fire out. The Bible says that the angel, that the devil could, could, uh, he could disguise himself as an angel of light. He looks beautiful. He knows the right things to say. And here's the thing about people that are deceived. Nobody has ever said, I'm deceived. All right, people that are deceived don't even know that they're deceived. And so we've got to have, in this hour, we've got to have discernment. If we've ever had it before, we've got to have discernment. And here's how you can discern a spirit that is trying to divide, that is trying to destroy you. If that spirit doesn't like order and if that spirit doesn't like authority, you need to, you need to get away from it because it's not doing it for the good of the kingdom. Well, pastor, they sound so spiritual. Pastor, they prophesied to me. Pastor, they have these dreams that are so amazing. I don't care. And Paul said that that's going to happen. They're going to, they're going to know how to talk the talk. 
But I'm going to tell you, there, there are some principles we're going to look at tonight that are going to help you because it isn't just what people have to say that helps you to identify when a spirit is trying to get in that's going to divide the church and ultimately is going to lead you to destruction. It's not, you've got to get beyond what people say. Spirits that are destructive like to hang out in chaos. They can only exist in unsubmitted environments of confusion. Spirits like rebellion, division, and strife. They despise authority because they can't survive. Rebellion cannot survive in an atmosphere where there's order. Division cannot survive. It's like taking a fish and putting it on the table, taking a fish out of water. It's going to flop around for a while and then it's dead. And that's what spirits do. They come into a church where there's authority and they flop around for a while. And if they don't get the chaos that they want, they die. And so they're, they're doing everything they can to stir up division and strife and chaos in the church. We need to be aware of that. We're, we're not going to give in to chaos. Amen. Yes, we're going to have a move of the spirit, but there's going to be order in the church. We know that in Acts chapter 2, Peter is going to stand. How many of you know in Acts 2, Peter stands after the Holy Ghost has been poured out and all these bystanders are wondering what in the world is going on. These men are drunk. And we know that Peter stands up and he references Joel's prophecy concerning the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Right? He says, and, and we love Joel's prophecy. There's, right, in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit of all flesh. That's Joel's prophecy that Peter Stands up in Acts 2 and he references, he points back and says, what's happening right now is a result of what was prophesied back then. And we love Joel's prophecy. We get t-shirts made about it. Brother James, you probably have one. Right? I'm drinking at Joel's bar. Right? That's a real shirt. I'm drinking at Joel's bar. It's talking about the Holy Ghost being poured out. You might want to clarify that. But anyway, that is, right? We, we like to talk about Joel's prophecy. But before Acts chapter 2 where Simon points back to prophecy to talk about what's happening concerning the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 1, verse 16, Simon reaches back to prophecy to talk about what's happening before they ever get to the Holy Ghost. He reaches back to prophecy about, uh, about prophecy confirming getting things in order and getting structure in the church. Acts 1 and 16, he said, Men and brethren, the scripture must needs have been fulfilled. In other words... This has been prophesied about. Everything that's happened. What happened with Judas was prophesied about. His bowels are gushing out. Right? I know that's gross, but that was a prophetic word. And then he goes on in verse 20, and he concludes this prophecy, and he says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein. Still speaking about what happened with Judas. And he said, And his bishopric let another take. All right, And I know we like the Joel's, you know, Acts 2. But, but Peter is saying we can't get to Acts 2 until we first fulfill the prophecy, amen, that, that's here in Acts 1. We can't get to the outpouring of the Holy Ghost until we have the discipleship, until we have the bishopric, is all, until there's structure in place. We can't get to the Holy Ghost outpouring until we've got order in place. And I know we all want outpouring of the Holy Ghost, but if we don't have structure in the church, there ain't going to be any outpouring of the Holy Ghost. If there's not order in the church, there ain't going to be any outpouring of the Holy Ghost. 
Right, Simon was saying there's got to be 12 in place before we go any further. And there's all kind of reasons for that 12. It was, it was already established. It was the 12 apostles. It's, it's the foundation of the church. Just like there were 12 tribes of Israel, there's 12 apostles that are the, the authority of the New Testament church. What Simon was saying is we can't go any further until we get this authority thing figured out. It's been prophesied. We can't go any further until we take care of replacing Judas. we got to get 12 in here before we go any further. Amen. We've got to have structure in place before there can be an outpouring. Amen. There are, again, spirits that show up the church that just want to do their own thing. And when there is authority that is exerted, right, spiritual authority that is exerted, whether that be through the word, but a lot of times it's through a man, and right now that guy's holding the microphone, all right? The pastor is the primary source of spiritual authority in a church. And when there is authority that is exerted, they use the position that the church, right? Pastor gets up and says, that's it, we're not doing that anymore, or we're going to stop doing that. And, and the response of that spirit that really all they want is chaos, but, but they kind of play on the emotions of people. They, oh, the pastor just doesn't want to move a God. The pastor, you know, leadership here just doesn't want to move a God anymore. The pastor just wants to be controlling. He doesn't want there to be a move of God. It's the same tactic that the serpent used in the garden. Right? She, what did she begin? What did the serpent do when Eve was walking by? He started questioning the motives for why God had put some boundaries in place. Amen. God doesn't want you to eat the fruit because he knows that if you eat of it, that you'll be just as wise as him. And he started turning Eve against the spiritual authority in her life by getting, him, by getting her to question the motive. Listen, I'm going to tell you, we're not, getting, we're not going to let down on, a, on order in this church. And it's not that I need to be in control. It's that we can't let chaos get loose in the church because chaos destroys Amen. So we're not, we're not just going to let it be willy-nilly and everybody do your own thing. And if you just want to get up over there and do your thing, even in the midst while the preacher's trying to talk, then you do. No, that's chaos. And we're not letting chaos loose in this church. And, 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 and I'm just telling you, the serpent shows up and he'll whisper in your ear, the pastor just feels threatened by your giftings. Right? He, he's being controlling because he feels threatened by the anointing that's on you. It's, it's the serpent spirit. It's the same spirit. The fact is that God put the pastor there to protect the church from the very spirit that's whispering in your ear. God put the pastor, the man of God there to say, hey, we're going to cut some things out around here because it's trending toward chaos and we're not going to have chaos. We're going to put structure in place because on the heels of structure, there's an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We can have order and still have a move of God. Amen. I, I don't ever want to get so structured that there is no move of God, but we can have balance in that. We absolutely can have order and we can have powerful moves of God. Amen. We can have order and we can have God move in this place and touch every life. Amen. But I, well, there's got to be a balance of both. If you don't have structure and order, you won't have a move of God. You will have a display of flesh. Amen. And that's what it is. When, when those spirits and voices just want chaos and there's no order, I'm going to tell you, it ain't about the spirit. It's about flesh. 
It's about them being recognized and about people seeing them and their giftings and their anointing. Listen, the giftings never belong to you anyhow. They're not the gifts of a person. They're the gifts of the Spirit. And so it's not about me. It's the gift of the Spirit. Yes, does God use us to operate in the gifts? Absolutely. But if you've got the mentality that now it's your gift, you've already you backfired on what this thing is all about. It's not about me. It's all about him. And I want, to be, I want it to be done decently and in order. The gifting should edify the body. If, if my gift causes disruption and chaos and confusion in the church, it ain't the gift of the Spirit. It's, 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 a, it's the gift of flesh. Amen. So what we're dealing with in Acts chapter 1, primarily in verses 15 through 26, is Simon is getting structure in place. He's shoring up the foundation of authority. Amen. And so here's what I want us to do for the last few minutes. We're going to talk about how we can safeguard against the spirit of deception from this, these verses of Scripture. And so we're just going to kind of walk through this. But let me just kind of give you, a, you know, somebody tells you the end of a movie before you watch it or the end of a book before you read it. I'm like, well, why even read it? Now, I'm going to ruin the story for you. Here's what they didn't do. They didn't give open mic for everybody to stand up and say why they should be the one to replace Judas. All right? They didn't, give every, they didn't open it up and say, okay, you, you, whoever wants to, you, you take a moment right now and you stand up and tell us why you should be the 12th man, that you should be the final piece of the authority for the New Testament church. That's not what they did. All right? There were principles that they put in place that are, still need to be in place in the church today. So we're going to look back again to Romans uh, 16 and 18. All right? Because this is a principle that will help you from being deceived. Okay, you you, you got to be careful by not, not being deceived by the words of people. I mean, I, can, I mean, anybody can come in here and say, I'm a prophet. Right? And you maybe you are. I don't know. But you telling me you're a prophet, the devil could walk up to you and say, I'm a prophet. I'm an evangelist. I'm a deacon. I don't care what title he gives it. Anybody could walk in here and say they're a prophet. And if, you're, if all you do is go, and they, they, maybe they quote a few scriptures and they, they put a few sentences together that sound really nice. Oh, I'm gonna, that person now has authority in my life. I'm going to listen to everything. they Listen, when they pray, they're powerful when they pray. And, and again, I'm not, you need to be powerful when you pray. But that is not, that's not the only evidence that you need before you exalt somebody to a place of authority in your life. A few of you are questioning me right now. You, you better be careful who you give authority in your life. You need to be careful about who, who you start exalting and letting them have in. That doesn't mean they're not a brother or a sister in the Lord and they come and worship with you. But I've had some people speak a word into my life and I, I reject that word. And, the, and I'm going to tell you the reasons why I reject that word. All right, and it's biblical. All right, so Romans, Paul is saying, watch out for those slick talkers. They sound like they have it together. But when Simon Peter stood up and said, we're going to decide who is going to replace Judas, they didn't base it on self-professed giftings or how convincing they sounded. And here's what they did. And here's what I do. When, when, when I'm going to let somebody, again, we can pray together, we can worship together, but if you're going to have authority to speak into my life, I want to do what the apostles did. And the apostles said, we're going to watch how you're living, not just what you're saying. All right, we're going to watch how you're living. All right, how, how have you been living? It does, do, does, the, does the gift match up with the fruit? All right, because it's easy to walk around saying, I got a gift, 
But if you, if, if you, if you really got a gift, you'll walk in that gift, and there will be fruit that is evidence of that gift. Amen. I'm watching how you're living before I'm going to be open to receive what you're saying. You can like that or not. I'm just telling you for me. I ain't letting just anybody walk into my world and, and thus say it the Lord and you do this and you do that. Okay, well, first let me see you do what thus saith the Lord. If I watch you demonstrate for a while that you're faithful to the word of God and that you're obedient to the word of God, then I'll be open to that. But until then, no, that's not happening. And you need to be careful about that. Somebody said, well, I had a dream. Well, I'm glad you had a dream. I had a dream one time that a giant marshmallow swallowed me. And I'm not making light of dreams and God's ability to speak through them. But more important to me than someone have, having a dream is how did they live when they woke up from that dream. All right? I want to know, uh, is your life matching up with the dream? Amen? Or is your lifestyle matching up with, with what you're professing? Someone that is ambitious to operate in the gifts of the Spirit but not demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit is dangerous. I mean, I y'all are getting freaked out right now. I'm, I'm trying to help. Part of my job as a pastor is to try to give you some tools that, that can help you from being deceived by spirits, and they're going to come in. The, the, the writers talked about those, those spirits are going to worm their way into the church, and they're going to sit down next to you, and they're going to start whispering in your ear, and they're going to sound convincing, and they're going to sound flowery. You're going to listen to them pray, and you're going to say how powerful they are. But I'm going to tell you, watch the fruit. Watch the fruit. Amen. Before you open yourself up to the gift, make sure the fruit is matching up. And another creation principle, since we mentioned some of those, in order to be fruitful, you have to be planted. There's only one place in the scripture where something was fruitful that had been cut down. That was the miracle of Aaron's rod that budded. Every place else in scripture that someone was, something was fruitful, it had roots somewhere. It had been planted. Amen. You can't be willy-nilly hit or In other words, I ain't letting somebody prophesy to me that can't even be faithful to the house of God. All right. I know. I can tell some of you don't like what I'm preaching right now, but I'm going to tell you, I'm trying to help you out right now. If you can't be faithful to the house of God, you ain't prophesying over my life. If you're not planted, if you're not planted, how do I know? Well, Pastor, you're just making this up. I'm not. We'll, we'll just continue. I'll let the Bible talk for itself. In verse, in verse 21, Peter shares the qualifications. Here's how we're going to determine this one that is going to be the 12th in the bishopric, is going to be the 12th in the establishing of the authority that oversees the early church. Two things. First of all, he says it has to be Somebody that has accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went out in and out among us from John's baptism until the, they were there. They were faithful. Amen. They weren't just here for one miracle and gone the next one. And maybe they missed that miracle and the other one. But no, they were there miracle after miracle from the time that John baptized Jesus until his ascension. They were faithful. They were there. They were present all the time. Amen. That is the, the first key to knowing if somebody should have authority to, to exercise a gifting in your life is are they faithful? Amen. Secondly, they had to be a witness of the resurrection. Again, speaks to faithfulness. They didn't just have to be there till the ending, you know, because it, it would be easy to bug out after that. Jesus died. It's over. Game over. 
But no, I want those that even when it looks like it's the darkest, they're still sticking around. Amen. If we're going to put authority in place, we need to know. Again, I'm not talking about people worshiping you. I'm talking about people that you let have a voice of authority in your life. I want to know, are you faithful? Amen. Are you faithful in the word of God? Are you faithful in the things of God? Are you faithful in the house of God? Some of you just let anybody lay hands on you. You know you have the right to say no. Amen. You know you have that right. There are some churches you go to, and there's only a, a select few people that they allow to lay hands on people. And there might be a lot of wisdom to that. Because when somebody lays hands on you, they're conveying the spirit that they have. They're conveying that to you. And I want to know, if you're not faithful, I don't want your unfaithful spirit get, getting on to me. And so if you're not faithful to the house of God, no thank you. You can hold my hand and pray with me, but you're not laying your hand on me and taking authority of me because I don't want that. Both of those qualities, they had to be there from John's baptism until the ascension, and they were present for the resurrection, demonstrate three principles, faithfulness, loyalty, and, they had, and they've been around for a while. They're not just some Johnny comes like, obviously the apostle Paul came in a little bit after the fact, and he was mightily used, but Paul didn't just jump in the saddle and start ministering. He had to prove himself for a little while, amen, and there are some principles that, that uh that we're going to get to in just a minute that can help us. But first of all, let me say this. So after these two principles that narrowed it down to two, right? They went through those two, and they narrowed it down to two. And then they cast lots, which was not rolling dice. So some of you are like, snake eyes. No, it wasn't rolling eyes or rolling dice, rather. It was an opportunity for the Spirit of God to clearly speak. When they needed the Spirit of God to speak clearly, they would cast lots, Amen. Here's a good principle to help you discern. When somebody wants to skip faithfulness, loyalty, and submission, and they want to go right to, well, the Spirit said. That's not what the apostles did. The apostles didn't skip right to casting lots. They said, no, first of all, let's see if you've been faithful. First of all, let's see. If, don't tell me what the Spirit said. If you, ha if you can't be faithful, I don't want to know what the Spirit says. I want to see you be faithful. I want to see you be loyal. I want to know, are you submitted? Come on, somebody, help me right now. I want to know if you're submitted. If you're loyal, if you're faithful, and if you're submitted, then we'll cast lots and see what the Spirit says. But here, here's the spirit of deception. And some of you don't want to clap your hands because you're dealing with it right now. But the Spirit, here's how the Spirit works. The Spirit wants to skip faithfulness and loyalty and submission. And let's just see what the Spirit, the, the Holy Ghost told me that I'm gifted to this and that and the other but they ain't got none of the other things that I just mentioned in place. Ain't no need to cast lots if you can't be faithful, if you can't be loyal, and if you can't be submitted. Those need to be red flags to us when somebody's not faithful, but they want to tell us all these giftings that they have. Red flags should be going up. And you have my permission to say, no, you're not praying for me. Well, they'll get offended. They'll pray through. If they're, if they're really in it for the right reason, they'll pray through. If you're not faithful, if you're not submitted, we know there are at least 120 in that upper room. And they narrowed it down to two, not by asking the Holy Ghost to speak, but by seeing, bless you, but by seeing who demonstrated faithfulness. That was a good sneeze. All right. They, they narrowed it down to two from 120. Not by casting lots, 
but by seeing who among them had been faithful and dependable. This is important. It's important when we allow people to step into positions of authority and influence our lives that they have established that they are qualified. Eternity is too long for me to be messing around with people that are playing games. Eternity is too long for you to be letting people exert authority over you that ain't even in this for the right reason. They ain't even in this for the kingdom. They're in this for themselves. Amen. If you're not in this for the kingdom, don't, you can lay hands on somebody else but not me because eternity is too long and I've, got, I've come too far to give up now. There are scriptures that protect us. 1 Timothy 5.22 says, lay hands on no man suddenly. It's not talking about don't walk up behind somebody and scare them and then they turn around and slug you. It's talking about not putting people into places of authority before they've demonstrated faithfulness. All right? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. Paul writes to Timothy and said, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather, and I want you to notice what he's talking about here, rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. I don't know, but that that to me sounds like some of the fruit of the Spirit right there. All right, he's saying, Timothy, you need to demonstrate, you need to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. You need to be an example of the fruit of the Spirit until I come give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed upon you because you went to www.spiritualgifts.com. That ain't what it says, is it? The spiritual gift that is upon you because you were in your closet one day and the light bulb flickered twice and you said, I am an anointed prophet. That ain't what he said, is it? I'm not making light right now. This is, this is serious stuff. He said the gift was bestowed upon you because there was a bunch of people, amen, the presbytery that had watched you demonstrate faithfulness. They had watched the fruit of the Spirit be demonstrated in you. And so there was a group of people that laid hands on you and they anointed you because they had watched you be faithful. They had watched the fruit of the Spirit be evident. Listen, if there are people that are trying to rise up in the church that the, that the leadership of the church has not anointed them, they don't have authority in the church. He said, here's how you know that you have the gift on you because there was people in spiritual authority that had watched you be faithful. They watched you demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit and those men laid hands on you and publicly in front of the church, they said, this person, the hand of God, we have watched them. We are placing our uh, approval upon them, the anointing upon them. Not just because somebody walks in and says, well, I think I'm a prophet. And that's the easiest one to skate by with because we don't hold people accountable for false prophecy anymore. Old Testament, you know, people didn't do that so much because if you got it wrong, they took you out and stoned you. If somebody walked in here today and said, I'm the pastor, you'd be like, no, you're not the pastor. The the bald-headed guy's our pastor. And and most of the other gift things, there's accountability for them, but the the gift of prophecy, not so much. I'm going to tell you, the best way to keep yourself from being deceived is 1 Timothy 5, right? Lay hands on it. Just wait a little while. Wait and make sure that the fruit is matching the gift. All right? If they're prophesying things over you, are, are, those, are those prophecies, are they coming to pass? We don't need spiritual fortune tellers. The gifts are to edify the church, not to wow you with how they can predict what, what you're going to have for breakfast tomorrow. Amen? 
Notice that it speaks, this passage that we just read, it, re, it speaks to the example of faithfulness and fruit of the Spirit before it speaks to not neglecting the gifts of the Spirit. First, he talks to Timothy about demonstrating and exemplifying the fruit of the Spirit before he talks to him about not denying the gifts of the Spirit. Fruit before gifting. Planting comes before fruitfulness, and fruitfulness comes before gifting. Amen. Don't be so concerned about the gifts that are on your life if you aren't planted anywhere. The first thing you need to do is get planted. Don't be so concerned about the gifts that are in your life if there's no fruit in your life. Amen. Get planted, bear fruit, and then you can worry about the gifting. You can go to heaven without all those, you know, be, being used in some of the, in, in the gifts. You can go to heaven by being fruitful, but you ain't going to get there if there ain't no fruit in your life. He said, if that tree ain't bearing fruit, it's good for nothing but to be cast down. I know this is tough stuff tonight, and I can tell some of you don't like it, but I'm going to go ahead anyway. I'm almost done. The gift that was upon Timothy was not a self-declared gift. There was a witness to that gift. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 12, know them that labor among you. That word know means to acknowledge, but it also speaks to observation. Know them. I want to know. I want to know. How, how do you feel about spiritual? Who are you submitted to? Well, I don't, pastor's too controlling for me. I don't, I don't think I could submit to that. If y'all think I'm controlling, you ain't seen, I'm just, you ain't gotten out much. I just don't know if I could submit to that. I just, I just, I'm going to tell you right now, if, you, if, if you're, if you're not, you need to know them. I, I plead with some of you. There are deceptive spirits in this last day that are going to make their way into the church trying to divide the church. And you need to protect yourself by knowing them that labor among you. Know them that have authority. Amen. Don't give somebody license to speak into your life. Amen. If there's not fruit being born in their life. Don't. Amen. If they can't even be faithful to the house of God, please, I implore you, don't give them license to speak into your life if they can't even be faithful to the house of God. I didn't choose this to be the next portion of Scripture, but it just felt so good when I read to it, turned to it. You say, Pastor, that's, why? Because God's trying to protect his church. If you have a child, I, I pray that you would tell your child not to go play in four lanes of traffic. Well, that's mean for you to tell your child not to go run out in the road. No, it's a good parent. I'm trying to protect my child. And, and these principles that are in the Scripture are still applicable today. We need order. I want an outpouring. We're going to have the outpouring. But if we neglect order, there will be no outpouring. If we neglect things being done decently and in order, what does that mean? It means there's a flow. There, this, body of, this body of believers, there's a flow. And it may be different than the, ch the church down the road. And if you go to the church down the road, guess what? You need to get in the flow that they have. But when you're in this church and there's a flow going on, don't be that one rock in the middle of the river. That says, well, I'm going to do things my way. No, what you need to do is you need to get your gift in alignment with the flow that is happening in this church. Amen. Get in alignment with what God is doing in this church. Amen. I'm not against gifting. I want gifting. Amen. But I believe if we'll focus on being planted and being fruitful, there's going to come an abundance of giftings, and the gifts edify the body. That means the body gets better, the body gets bigger, the body grows, and we need that. Can we stand together? Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. 
Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.